Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican Jeannie Ives, Democrat Rebecca Sive, and a little bit later on in the program, we'll be joined by Kathy Salvi, a candidate for the United States Senate from Illinois, and also Jesse Sullivan, who's a candidate for the Republican nomination for governor in our primary state coming up in a couple of days uh, in Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. 1-800-723-8289 on this, the 42nd anniversary of Beyond the Beltway. 42 years ago uh, tonight. It was a Thursday night then when we program began, and uh, we've been doing it uh, every uh, once a week for 42 years. And again, it's nice to have our regular guests this evening, hopefully a lot of regular listeners as well. And again, if you go to our website, which is beyondthebeltway.com, uh, in our flashback section, there's an opportunity for you to hear the very first show done 42 years ago. But again, it's a historic moment for us. It's a historic moment for the country because much of those 42 years we have spent in discussing an issue called abortion. And again, this past week, the U.S. Supreme Court overruled and threw out Roe v. Wade, which had been the law of the land uh, for almost 50 years. And joining us tonight are two women who have been on opposite sides of that issue. Uh, for the last uh, four and a half or four, I'm going to say over three decades. I don't want to give their age away, but much of their adult life has been spent arguing uh, this issue. And I'm going to begin. Rebecca Sive is our Democrat. Jeannie Ives is our Republican. Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. Um, your reaction to uh, the decision and where does this issue go next insofar as the American political battlefield con- is concerned? Turn your turn your microphone on because we're not hearing you. Okay, I had it on. Okay. So good more uh, good evening, Bruce. Sorry to uh, have to unmute myself. I thought I had. My reaction was just complete dismay and devastation for the women and families who will suffer. I mean, in Judge Alito's uh, mind, he had the right, and Judge Justice Thomas too, to overturn fifty years of precedent and create a horrible situation for healthcare for American women and families. So yes, you're right, this is a political issue uh, and it's a legal issue and it'll be argued in many contexts, but in the immediate uh, term and in in the longer term until abortion is again safe and and legal, women's uh, reproductive health is going to be a significant risk. If you get an ectopic pregnancy and need an abortion, you're not going to be able to get one in most okay. American states. Or I if you get, travel the one for your I, business. Not true. I want to get, I mean, there's I just get, a lot. Wanna, there's a uh, long Rebecca, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Is, Rebecca, I want to hang on a second. Uh, before, I don't want anybody to, to go into a, a, a long answer tonight, so I do want to bring in Jeannie Ives. Mm-hmm. She's been mm-hmm. a leader in the pro-life movement in Illinois for many, many years. She joins us tonight from Houston, Texas, where she's visiting. Jeannie, uh, again, uh, is this euphoria on your side of the aisle? Absolutely. We're ecstatic about this. We're going to save many babies after having, you know, essentially seen 63 million American children 
killed in the womb, killed before they had a chance to be born and, and live a life and contribute to society in many ways. So yeah, the, this is a huge victory for the pro-life movement. We've been looking forward to this. And actually, it's also right on the case law. I mean, it, everybody understands that it is not an enshrined right in our constitution, the right to an abortion. And also, everybody knows, if they're being honest, that this doesn't end abortion in the United States. It doesn't do that at all. It returns the, that back to uh, the state legislatures to I, make those decisions as to what their state wants to do in terms of this issue. It's, it's, it's a state's right issue, and that's where it properly belongs. Let's go back and to, let's and go the back, fight is going to have to continue. Okay, let's go back to Rebecca. On that, on that very particular point, uh, Rebecca, uh, abortion really isn't, it isn't banned for all women in all states. Uh, I, think that that's, that, uh, I think that's missing the main point. And, and first, I'd like to say that uh, the main point is that uh, at least every person I know, we are all pro-life. Some people are anti-choice, meaning that uh, they are not uh, permitting women and their doctors to make the best decisions for themselves. So I think if you look at this uh, and this return of this issue to the states, what you see is a much bigger problem, which is that Justice Alito said that no rights, no rights, and Justice Thomas made this even clearer in his uh, writings, that no rights that were, so to speak, in existence in Justice Alito's mind uh, when the 14th Amendment was passed and the Due Process Clause was adopted are safe. So that not only means women's reproductive health and decisions to make uh, for instance, to terminate a pregnancy if necessary in every state. It also means the prospect of eliminating the Griswold decision, which okay. permits contraception. Rebecca, let me let me let me please let me interject here, and please, I'm going to ask each of you, please don't uh, uh, don't talk over me. I'm going to try to uh, referee this thing. But again, I, I want to get back to the specific. Jeannie Ives made the comment that maybe the other side, your side is overstating the issue when you're threatening women, you're raising this possibility that they're not going to be able to have an abortion, abortion when there are many states that will allow abortion, so that they will be inconvenienced, no question about it. But now the next thing is, is you're picking on, on something that Justice Thomas said, which has nothing to do with this decision. He's bringing up some of these other issues. You're trying to rile up more people, thinking that more rights are going to be taken away when no, again, no, right no, at no, the no. moment, there's no evidence for it. It's it, it's 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 futuristic fear mongering by your side. No, I, I would beg to differ with okay. you, and with all due respect for having been colleagues in this world for a long time. The, the fear-mongering that's been created here is precipitously, unnecessarily changing court precedent. This has never happened in the history of, of the court in quite this way in terms of individual rights. In institutional rights it has, for instance, eliminating uh, separate but equal, as you may know. But in this instance, uh, eliminating rights of individuals guaranteed under the Constitution. And as you know, Bruce, and you know this well from all of your work, the fact of the matter is that these decisions are based in context of the Constitution, of the amendments, of the Bill of Rights, and they absolutely pertain to broader issues and open the door to them. And that's why okay. I mentioned, for instance, okay. 
gay marriage and contraception. Okay. Jeannie, I was back to you on this point. You got 30 seconds response. Go ahead, Jeannie. Well, first of all, the pro-life movement has always said that in the case of the life of a mother, we always understand that abortion may be medically necessary. In the case of a life of a mother, like an ectopic pregnancy, that has always been the case. So your very opening remark about that not being something that we would support is wrong to begin with. It's just medically, if there's medically a reason for that, that has always been the standard, always. You simply want to talk about health of a mother, which is a completely different issue. So life of the mother all the time, that, that's always been the standard. Uh, so, but no, she's she is right. I mean, they made it abundantly clear that this only was about abortion and it was returning the right to the states. I live in Illinois. Okay. I live in Illinois. Planned we Parenthood. We got a break. When knew we got a break. Back shortly. Oh, hello. You know, these days, I'm often quoted as saying, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. People forget that I was the first technology president using the telegraph, T-mails as I like to call them, to communicate with my generals. Well, today, we are fighting a cybersecurity war, and our best defense is for folks to follow some of these tips when they're online. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Hover your cursor over links to determine the true web address. Look for misspellings and poor grammar, which are warning signs of fraud. Be suspicious of emails requesting urgent action and never give away sensitive personal information. With malware for none, with cyber protection for all, this is your humble servant, Abraham Lincoln. The central and midwestern U.S. averages more than 850 tornadoes each year. And lately, the number of floods has been rising in the region, too. So chances are, there will be more twisters and floods near here again. And between school, sports, and social lives, chances are, you won't be with your kids when it happens. Will they know what to do? Ready.gov kids has all the educational tools and information to make the conversation easy. When the time comes, chances are, they'll feel prepared, not scared. So talk with your family today. Back. That was the uh, beauty of Redding, California. A nice picture sent to us by one of our regular listeners uh, showing uh, uh, the um, uh, Sacramento River. Or is it Lake Sacramento? It's a river. The river. Anyway, uh, we back, we're back with uh, Rebecca Sive and uh, Jeannie Ives, and we're talking about uh, what, what's next in this issue. And by the way, let me mention uh, there's several maps that I want to share with you. Uh, the first map is basically where uh, abortion is likely to ba be banned, okay? And you look at that long list for those who are listening to us on radio. It's a, it's a long list, but I'll rattle off. It's Arizona, Utah, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida. Again, sorry if I ripped through those too fast. But again, there are, there are 26 states where abortion is likely to be banned. And right. so my, my question to you is, in, in one of those states, since Jeannie, you live in Illinois, which is standing out like a sore thumb, yeah. as, as one of the states, certainly in the Midwest, uh, 
mm -hmm. uh, that is likely to become an abortion uh, magnet, if you will. Um, how is mm -hmm. life going to change in Illinois, if at all? Isn't, isn't it going to be just uh, worse for people of your political persuasion because there's going to be more abortions done in Illinois than surrounding mm -hmm. states? Well, we don't know yet. I mean, we do know that there's going to be more abortions done, just like when we put in taxpayer funding of abortion, which was signed into law, unfortunately, by a Republican governor mm. in uh, 2017. We knew that then we would get more abortions coming across the state because there's a presumption of eligibility for Medicaid services, which means you could get that abortion paid for by taxpayers by simply, you know, coming up with an address locally. Now, they do expect that there's going to be tens of thousands of more people that will travel to Illinois to get abortions. And that's why Planned Parenthood has put new abortion clinics in three major places right on our border, right on our border, because they were expecting this decision, no doubt. They've enshrined abortion as a right in our state legislature in 2019 legislation. We have some of the most extreme abortion legislation, but I don't think, I'll tell you this, I already know, polling says that even in Illinois, blue state Illinois, says that the two thirds of the people in the state of Illinois say that abortion should only be legal up through the first trimester. That's it. And the abortion law that was the Dobbs law was a Mississippi law. So you have Mississippi up there in red saying it's going to ban abortion. The Mississippi law was 15 weeks. That's not a ban on abortion. It's where the majority of the country is. It's a two thirds, uh, okay. you know, two thirds of the country believes abortion if it's going to be legal only okay. the first trimester. Back to Rebecca to respond to that. Rebecca, go ahead. I, there's a series of problems here in, in what uh, Representative Ives is discussing here. I, I think uh, to start with them, um, I think the notion here in the first place is the notion that uh, all Americans have equal access to health care and that uh, the kinds of uh, opportunities we have to make sure that we stay healthy and remain healthy are available regardless of state lines. So as Bruce pointed out here, there are now uh, these so many, at least half the states where you won't be able to, uh, for instance, medically terminate an abortion, uh, a pregnancy if you need to. And then the question becomes, if you're poor, if you're unable to travel, if you don't own a car, if you're a victim of domestic violence and you can't uh, get out the house safely, there are a whole series of problems that women who properly and should be able to seek their own uh, termination of a pregnancy if they want to are not going to be able to overcome. And the consequence of that is going to be uh, families with unwanted children. Now we've already, uh, we don't want unwanted children. We do want women to be able to make their own decisions. And I think the point here is that, um, <laughs> you know, that for the most part, Americans seem to think that the kinds of rights that are enshrined in the Constitution should be uh, across the board, male and female. But isn't it interesting here? Isn't it interesting here that a majority of these justices, including one woman justice who uh, was at best uh, obfuscating in her uh, Senate testimony about settled law, have said here, no, not for women. You are not equal. You are going to have an undue burden when you are raped, when there is incest, when you've been abused. Mm. Okay. And the fact of the matter is, this is a very simple matter. 
It ought to be between the patient and her doctor, okay. wherever she lives. Rebecca, let me stop. Let me stop be, you for. Let me stop. Let me stop. Inhibited by income level. Let me stop you for a second. Let me go back to to Jeannie and 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 speak to the issue of uh, the impoverished women who may be more likely to be in need of an abortion. That it's more than just an inconvenience to them that they have to go to a different state. How will their life be changed? because of this law in a practical way, Jeannie? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't see any problem with this. I mean, right now, if you want to get an abortion, you can get an abortion, unfortunately. Yes. But, but the idea that you are talking about a 1% possible, even 1% that are maybe have a rape or an incest charge, that you're making that the moniker, you're making that the standard. When 99% of the abortions are literally for other reasons, convenience pr primarily. And then you're saying that poor women are trapped in this. That's not true. It's 100% not true. In the state of Illinois, unfortunately, we pay for people on Medicaid to have an abortion. Uh, other states do the same. And uh, and so you're, you're conflating the issues here. I, I don't understand well, this. Why, hang on why a second. shouldn't have babies? One, one that second. is what's the problem here. One you're second. talking about killing people. You're talking oh, about making it easier for poor people to kill their babies. One that second. is what you want. That is one, where you're going with this. One second. Already you have well, more Jean, Jean, black babies that are born in New York City than are born. Jeannie, hold it. I'm going to go back to Rebecca. I'm, I'm trying to keep this as conversational okay. as we possibly well, can. Go back. I, Just know, on the, um, speak on the issue of, of, of the poor women. I want to focus more on, on, on what poor women, how much and more, is it just, an, in, it's a, it seems to me it's a lot more than just an inconvenience to them. It is a great deal more than an inconvenience. Uh, to correct the erroneous statement on Medicaid funding, there are presently 16 states that permit Medicaid funding. It is not by any means all over the place or whatever the number was, or you said anywhere. It happens, Illinois happens to be one of 16. I think mm -hmm. the point here that I wanna stress for poor women, for women of any income level is their right to bodily autonomy, to make a decision as adults about how to lead their own lives, how to manage their own healthcare, how to escape from situations that are difficult. And yes, you're right, Bruce, for poor women, this is really difficult. Uh, they can't travel to Illinois or wherever it may be the place, if that's what's going to be happening, they're going to be stuck where there are. I commend to you a really interesting article. Oh, let me just stop you for, Rebecca, let me just stop you for one second. Politically, you, you know where the politics, you know where a lot of money is on this issue. You also know that there's a there's huge volume of people out there who are well-to-do, who have lots of money. They've been principal supporters of Planned Parenthood for 50 years now. And for, for me to sit here and, and think that poor women who want an abortion aren't going to find some place to get that funded, whether it's travel. I mean, half the major Fortune 500 companies have already said they're going to provide uh, you know travel money. For their employees who want to go get abortion, so I mean, let's be let's why, be frank here. There's, but, it, but, but there's going to be but there's going to be there's going to be billions billions of dollars out there for women to use to go to a state to have an abortion. I, I Bruce, I, I you don't think agree that, with that. 
I don't, I don't at the moment, I, have, I haven't seen any numbers. What I would point to is what you just mentioned, which is the number of Fortune 500 CEOs, I think beginning with Jamie Dimon, uh, who have said that they will pay for this healthcare for their employees, just as they pay for other forms of healthcare. Right. And right. I think that's a key factor here that they are understanding that American business understands that this is a health matter, not a political matter not a matter of right and left. It is a matter of every employee of every company being able to find her way to succeed as a worker, to succeed as a mother, to not be ill from a pregnancy and unable to terminate it. That's exactly why these Fortune 500 people uh, CEOs have said what they've said. Do you agree with that, Janie? Yeah, well, you're trying, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just really hard to have a conversation here when you guys completely, completely pretend like a child is not involved, like it's not morally re reprehensible to kill a baby in the womb. It's, it's very difficult for me to sit here and just have some sort of like financial discussion about killing a human being. And so you guys can continue on, but I am, I, I, you're, you're totally denigrating the morality of the issue. And uh, this, this is a moral issue. I as well. That, uh, and it's I morally think, reprehensible to kill a baby in the womb. I that's where I am. That, I think and that's that, where a lot of people are, by the way. They don't agree with butchering a baby up to not, uh, you know, right before birth, partial birth abortion, horrific, go ahead and sell the baby parts. That is where your side is. And no, by the way, totally, and now you've not, seen the no, violence from the left come out. That. You have seen well, we are the violence from the left come out. When abortion is returned to a state's right issue, you now have seen the violence from the left come out in full force. It is obscene. I mean, attacking the Arizona state capitol, you know, breaking through security there, just assaults on uh, pro-life pregnancy centers. For what purpose? For what purpose? So you can when celebrate when the can, when we come back, of uh, Rebecca, I want you to respond to that when we come back. 1-800-723-8289. one 800 723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont. Your questions, your comments when we roll on from Chicago. Turn up the radio and discover all that Illinois has to offer. Find your road trip at enjoyillinois.com. back and we're going to take a moment now to let each of our guests to take an extra 20 seconds and introduce themselves to our audience. We'll begin with uh, Jeannie Ives. Jeannie, tell everybody who you are listening around the country. 
Hi, I, I'm Jeannie Ives. I am a former state representative from uh, Illinois. I also serve on the Illinois Right to Life Action Board, and I'm a mother of five children, a West Point graduate, and um, that's who I am. And we should mention you also uh, ran against uh, the incumbent governor in a Republican primary. You got about 48% of the vote, and you scared the poop out of him. Uh, Rebecca Sive, tell us who you are. You have an illustrious career as well. Um, uh, I guess I'll start with the personal stuff about to celebrate my 50th wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks. I'm the oldest of five children of a immigrant mother and a father who worked very hard to uh, make a life for uh, our family. Uh, on the professional side, I've been a writer. I've been a statewide public official. I've been an activist for many years, really since uh, graduate school in advocating for women's reproductive health and economic opportunity. Okay, we have callers on the line. Let's bring them into the conversation. Al is listening to us in Lake Forest, Illinois, just north of the city. Go ahead, Al, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Bruce, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, everybody there um, uh, about some of Justice Thomas's comments that the Supreme Court is gonna look at issues like contraception and could uh, what's the likelihood that some states could start banning contraception and taking that issue to the Supreme Court? Okay, Jeannie Ives, I want to ask you to respond to that and also just generally speaking on the, uh, the comments of Justice Thomas. I'd also like to respond. Sure, will do. Jeannie? Um, you know, they do see this as a rights issue and one that the states are going to be able to adjudicate as well. There's no doubt that both Justice Thomas and Justice Alito see it that way. I don't know that the other justice uh, feel that same way. It, regardless, this is something that you, you probably can't find specifically in the Constitution. So we'll see where that goes. But the idea, I mean, it's laughable, honestly that you're going to have contraception banned is, is just crazy. I mean, that is, that is laughable. That's not gonna happen in, in any way, shape or form, so. Rebecca? I, I don't, I'm not a seersayer. I wouldn't pretend to predict the future. I would focus on what exactly Justice Thomas did say. He specifically said in his opinion that uh, contraception is one example, the Griswold case that this was founded or decided by the Supreme Court on the same constitutional basis as Roe was and therefore subject to the same problems in his view. Justice Alito also said that in the draft opinion that was leaked in May. There will, if there isn't already, be legislation based on what's happening in, in uh, a number of states to test Griswold and bring it up to the Supreme Court uh, as quickly as they can, because they now know uh, the people who are anti-contraception, in addition to other anti-women's ability to control their own bodies in any way, they're going to get it up to the Supreme Court as fast as they can. They have a friendly court system because federal court system because Donald Trump uh, appointed so an anti-choice president appointed so many federal judges. So yes, we will absolutely see this in the federal courts. It will go up to the Supreme Court. And if Justice Alito, Justice Coney Barrett, uh, Justice Thomas, the others as well, lean the same way uh, 
and don't change their minds, they will say, no, those rights are not in the due process clause either. So there we see? are without contraception, you... without gay marriage, without any of the rights, the privacy rights that are founded by the Supreme Court in that clause of the Constitution written in 1868. Rebecca, do you see, however, that uh, those who are on the Supreme Court, they got there through political political right. activity. Uh, they are politicians. Uh, mm -hmm. They must know when they came down with this decision, there was going to be a, a, a monumental reaction uh, to this decision uh, because of people like yourself and, and literally tens of hundreds of millions of people who feel as you do. Uh, do you believe, however, that in the uh, in the 50 years, the 50 years that are before us, do you think that those justices, those justices who may be alive for another 30 or 40 years, do you think they will want to tackle another one of these very hot button issues and again, uh, monumentally change? Three in a week, Bruce. They decided uh, in the case about Maine public schools that uh, public taxpayer money can now fund religiously based Cool. But it's not they like gay marriage. It's not like minute. gay marriage. It's not like contraceptive. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that yeah. you, you asked me, Bruce, specifically about hot button issues. Yes. These justices, perhaps to their credit, I mean, foolish in my view and wrong. They, as I said, three hot button issues in the last week of court decisions. If you want me to enumerate them, they're on guns, no. they're on public funding, and yeah. they're on reproductive health. Right. Yeah, they I, have no fear of controversial I would say, uh, rulemaking that is causing okay. such a disaster. I want to I want to go back to I want to go back to Jeannie. Jeannie, in your yes. view, uh, again, Clarence yes. Thomas is also a politician. Why did he say what he had to say? Uh, and do you believe that these other issues will be on the docket for Supreme Courts in the next 30 years. This is purely a guess on your part. But again, he's he's raised the specter because he wants to be the maybe the most popular conservative in America uh, to mm -hmm. some. Uh, but again, how much does he speak for the rest of the court and their willingness to basically turn over the apple cart in a variety of other issues, including same-sex marriage? Well, first of all, it took them quite a while just to even get to the point where they added Dobbs to their docket to even be reviewed and adjudicated. So it, 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 who knows how much longer it will take them to get to other cases. But the, at the core, what they see this is, is not as an enumerated right anywhere to be found in the Constitution. And it's something that if we believe in the federalism system, that, that it should return, be returned to the states. Now, in the case of the New York gun um, uh, situation, that is one where they said, look, we're making a decision on a right that is enumerated in the Constitution, your Second Amendment right. It says that you are there, you can keep and bear arms. And they, the, all they said was that that right does not end at the threshold of your door and that the New York cannot just um, randomly and, and discriminately uh, decide who can and cannot have a concealed carry uh, permit uh, and, and force people to actually prove up that they deserve to have one. So um, that was in keeping with exactly the decisions they're making now. They're protected a right 
that was that is labeled and significant and stated in the Constitution. Meanwhile, saying these other rights are not there and it should return to states control. Okay. I that, don't know why uh, that's Rebecca. not that's a very, very consistent. See, reason. No, okay, no, no, and on the school right, one, situation, one second. Right, on one second. Wait, allowed, wait, 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 wait a minute. Rebecca, money, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. Another Rebecca, situation. Jeannie, same hold thing. a second. No, Rebecca, not, back to you. Yes. Yes. Rebecca, back to you. Let's just step back a second. First of all, I want to correct an erroneous statement. Dobbs took less than three years to get to the Supreme Court. It did not take a long time. That's point one. Point two. There were other cases that they refused. Let Rebecca talk. Specifically said that Dobbs took a long time. It did not take a long time. These other cases, if they go to friendly uh, courts of appeals, are not going to take a long time either. There is nothing, fortunately, that prevents people if they have a legitimate lawsuit from filing one and moving as quickly as they can. That's point one. Point two is on the issue of, of the Second Amendment, which we are not here to discuss. If, if, if Justice Alito, I want to go to Alito, not Thomas here. Alito says if it's not found in the Constitution, as a bunch of white slave owners wrote it in the 1770s, it shouldn't be here. There were no semi-automatic weapons, much less AK-47s, when the Second Amendment was adopted. So I would say to you that they are- That's not what the New York case was about. The New York case was not about it's semi-automatic weapons or long guns. It was not about that. They are schizophrenic on this issue of no, they're not. what's in the Constitution okay. or not. Jeannie Ives, back to you. One second. Rebecca, stand down. Stand down. It's, it's so nice Ives, to hear her to denigrate you. our founding fathers back the way that she just did. It's just back, amazing. Back to you, Jeannie. Back you know, to you. Like I said, it's just amazing that she denigrated our founding fathers. Well, Apparently, she doesn't like the Constitution that they that they actually came up with and doesn't believe in the Constitution, no, which no, is no, what no, we no. pledge allegiance saying, to. No, what I'm saying is that the justices, the six justices, including Justice Roberts, unfortunately, the six justices who based their decision in, in overturning Roe and Casey on originalist ideas, were these rights in the Constitution? What I was simply saying right. is that the right to uh, own and shoot and whatever automatic weapons was not in the Constitution either. There were muskets at the time that the that the founding I want, fathers. Were. I want to. They were go, still uh, the weapon of choice. They were still the most not, advanced weapon at that time. I mean, no, the I constitution, the constitutional, the original. Ladies, hang on a minute. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold okay, it. Hold so it. Let's hold just go it. Back to muskets, I hold guess. it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. I want to go back to my original question. We're going to break coming up here because I want to give you enough time to you know, take a drink of water and take a deep breath and get ready for our last segment. We've also got callers standing by, and I'm going to bring them into the conversation. I want to go back to my original question, and that is, from a political standpoint, what happens next? You're both knee-deep in the, in the politics of it. We've gone beyond the politics of it into all aspects of it in this discussion for the last 45 minutes. But when we come back, what happens at the polls? Who's riled up? Who is most likely to be charging to the polls uh, in November or in some states, in Illinois, we've got a primary on Tuesday. What's likely to happen at the ballot box? Back shortly. What if 
stem is precise. No margin for error. Dare to forget that. Dare to have fun with it. Get weird with it. Dare to send those old stem theories flying past the neighbor's house into outer space. Dare to program something internet-breaking, record-breaking. Dare to blow their minds. Dare to learn the difference between sedimentary and metamorphic rock. Go find those rocks. Dare to keep daring. Dare to STEM. Check out She Can STEM to get started. With instant acceleration, electric cars are more fun to drive and more affordable than ever. Electric cars are here. Plug in to the present. Bruce Dumont back, and let's go to calls. Let's go to Joy listening to us in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead, Joy. Hi, hi. My question is that I heard um, both a governor and um, someone who was part of a organization for a pro-life organization both comment, oh, well, now we can really, you know, help these um, women who are having um, babies. And I ask especially for many of the Republican states, why wasn't this in place prior to this? If you look at social services, I would imagine that we could have reduced the number of abortions if there were no more programs in place for free childcare, if there were more programs in place for maternal um, health, if there were a lot more programs in place, then, um, Again, there, I'm pro-life, I mean, of pro-choice, but I, as I said, I'm, as the other speaker said, I'm also pro-life, and I think we could have been working together on all sides okay. to reduce the number of abortions. Okay, Joy, um, so uh, Joy let, let, let's, let's, get, let, let's get response. I'm going to go to Jeannie Ives, since she is a former longtime uh, Illinois lawmaker, and uh, she had years in Springfield to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, Jeannie, what's the answer to Joy's question? Then maybe, maybe the Republicans have not been as uh, as generous uh, as maybe the Democrats in trying to provide uh, services to children that need it. Well, I, I disagree. There's a lot of services that are provided to a lot of children all the time. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that you have many p children that are suffering in really bad educational situations where they're not even getting an education. That's got to change. Let's let's we got to give these kids a real start in life by getting them great education, which you do not have in these public sector teacher union controlled institutions like Chicago, especially. And and the other thing is, it's like we we do a lot of free child care in, in in our state and other states too. I don't know. I really don't know. Poor, uh, you know, women who need free childcare. I really, I like to see exactly where the where the system is failing them in not getting that resource to them. Because is, I am telling you, the resources are out there. We spend well over a half a billion dollars in Illinois alone for free childcare. You've got tax credits. You've got everything. It's I. It's just nonsense. I I, I said before that uh, uh, for those. Uh, 
uh, poor women who, who are going to be looking for support or looking for an abortion in another state because they live in a state where it's illegal. I have suggested, and Rebecca sort of challenged my point, is there's going to be billions of dollars, I mean billions of dollars in donated money, including some state money in, in states where abortion is uh, illegal, rather, legal. There's going to be all kinds of this huge pot of money where those women want to go to seek support. My question to you is, on the right side, what is, what is the right of center equivalent to parent, pa- planned parenthood and do you believe that there's just as much money out there to be spent by those who believe, as you do, to support a safety net that goes well beyond what's there now so that if a woman wants to carry a child uh, to termination and wants to turn that child over for adoption, that there's also a strong way in which that mother can be handled and dealt with on a financial basis if she's poor. Your reaction? Are you no? This is for, Jeannie, no. This asking? is I'm asking Jeannie. I want I want to know what is the what is the what is yes, the right no. of center equivalent to Planned Parenthood? Well, we have pro life pregnancy centers all over, and new ones start up all the time. And uh, they do try to actually locate across from abortion clinics. That's ideal, so that women get a real option and a real choice. And so that is definitely available. Look, there's wealthy, wealthy individuals that are trying to get children a great start by by funding a lot of tax credit scholarships for them to get them a good education and get them out of bad education so that they can be successful on their own. There's but again, you know, we do our equivalent is pro-life pregnancy centers and and okay. all the other support that we so do there to are help many. children so th- and parents along the way. So the my question, so the answer is there are many such organizations. It just yes. it isn't just one big monolith like uh, Planned Parenthood. No, I think, okay. I, I think the, the, Rebecca, and also for the poor and disadvantaged, there's a lot of other Catholic charities, for example, okay. St. Vincent de Paul I Society think, type thing, organizations, okay. and on and on and on. Okay, back to Rebecca. That, Rebecca. Yeah, I, I, there are a couple of key points here I, I, I want to make. One is that it's never been true, whether it's Catholic charities or Lutheran Welfare Services or Jewish United Fund or other charities uh, in Chicago and, and that exist elsewhere, there has never been enough private philanthropy uh, to fund the needs of poor children. That's why we still have so many poor children. There have never been enough foster families to take all the children who are being, uh, you know, pushed around in the in the foster care system. This is going to this. Uh, what this may mean is the more children will be born and go into the foster care system, for instance, they will definitely need more services. And there is nothing in the trajectory, and I worked in this field for years, running a women's center, there is nothing to suggest that there will be enough money uh, to support children from birth to five, uh, putting aside what uh, Representative Ives was saying about people should be able to go to a good school and a good college and all that. The critical issue here is what happens between birth and five. And we've never had enough money. Perhaps there will be more. I hope there will be more from the right. I think the larger issue here I wanna point to is that this focus on uh, this aspect of things is uh, sort of comes 
simultaneously to what ought to be an equal focus on the right of the mother to decide on how she wants to live her life, a right that was found to be in the Constitution 50 years ago, and by justices who preceded those who are there now who were just as smart. And I think that what we're looking at here is, uh, to go back to where we started, a real travesty. On that note, on that note you, you made your, you've made your point. Actually, you came back, you made it again at the second time as we ended the hour. Jeannie Ives, thank you very much for joining us. Rebecca Sive, thank you very much for joining us. You're your two divergent views on this issue. Hopefully, I've been... Uh, Fair and balanced. We'll see what happens. Next hour. Thank you very much, Bruce. Kathy Salvi will join us. She's running for the U.S. Senate. Roll over. Chance high five. All right. When you adopt a shelter pet, you discover all the things that make them unique. And your mother. I am totally a hot person. Right, guys? Thanks for being honest. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at the shelterpetproject.org. Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, Tuscaloosa. All major cities to feel the destruction caused by a direct hit from a tornado. Is Chicago next? It's not a question of if, but when, and the clock is ticking. Learn what to do now at ready.illinois.gov to become Tornado Ready. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. And uh, in this half hour of the show, uh, we are joined in studio by Kathy Salvi. She is a candidate for the United States Senate here in Illinois. The primary is this coming Tuesday. And again, uh, if you're listening around the country, uh, this is an opportunity uh, to be introduced to a, a conservative woman who is taking on a very uh, tough challenge. She's challenging Tammy Duckworth, uh, the incumbent Democrat. And uh, a lot of people have already said that this is a, a tough race for a Republican to win, but uh, winning races in Illinois has never been easy as a Republican. And so uh, uh, if you'll pardon me around the country, if we uh, take a moment to talk about national politics with an Illinois perspective, please uh, bear with me. Kathy, we've known each other for a number of years, so we're not going to pretend like this is the first time I've ever seen you. Uh, I'm not a longtime advisor, but uh, uh, you and your husband, Al, also have been... Uh, friends of this program for many, many years. Uh, l let me begin by asking the, the major question is, why in your, or how in your opinion, does an incumbent United States Senator like Tammy Duckworth, how does she at the beginning of a campaign cycle get a moniker like she's almost unbeatable? I, that's curious to me. I'll tell you why we're going to win in November, and I am, will be privileged to lead the Republican ticket. You know, mm. my whole life, I've never, my friends are my friends. I've never looked at my friends as being Republican, Democrat, even voting before. Mm -hmm. And I think this type of uh, brand of leadership, uh, more of a, a servant leader, uh, a citizen senator, I'd like to see is sorely needed, not only in Illinois, but around the country. But I want to, I ask two questions. I say, what do you go to sleep worried about? And then just listen to whatever a person you're chatting with that answers, and then you suggest to them that the answer is vote Republican from the top of the ballot on down. 
and our uh, message. Uh, I'm a principled conservative, and people are hungry for the change that all Republicans can offer, especially with the abandonment of the policies of this former administration in these last 18 months. Now, at the moment, many women in the United States, if you listen to the media, perhaps all women in the United States right now are only concerned about one thing, and that is the uh, Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court. Uh, what message do you have for women on both sides of that issue as to why they should support you? I know if they're if they're right to, to, to lifers, you're a right to lifer. I understand why they would support you. Right. But why would someone who is not a right to lifer give you a vote? Well, first of all, you have to think back to what 50 years of Roe has done to our country. You cannot say that our communities are safer, our homes are more humane. I am pro-life and I'm pro-woman. And I believe that the decision was wrong 50 years ago and the Dobbs decision is correct because I believe there was never a right of a abortion uh, in our Constitution. And now the uh, entire issue is rightly put back to elected official, elected representatives of the people where it should be. And uh, I, I think unelected judges 50 years ago had no uh, basis in the Constitution. Legal scholars would say on both sides that uh, it was a, uh, a, a, a somewhat radical decision then. Mm -hmm. And I think we've righted the ship here. So, But to your question, how do I answer women? Uh, I, I, as an attorney, have uh, my entire life dedicated myself to fighting injustice and uh, defending our Constitution. And I have represented many families of women who have suffered the effects of legal so-called safe and legal abortions. Uh, and also women who've come to me uh, horribly scarred because of their abortions. So to say that abortion, and, and, and if I could continue to this, um, my opponent in the, in the uh, general, uh, the junior senator from Illinois, has advocated and supported nine-month elective abortion, taxpayer-funded, without any right of a health professional to recuse themselves from performing it. And that is a radical position. It is not supported by the majority of people in this state. And I think it's uh, somewhere between 70, 80 percent repudiate that. And if that is what we call women's health care and we, we, we talk about the uh, issue of abortion and how it's affected communities, I think that many people will come around and see that uh, they've been sold a bill of goods. We had a caller in the first hour of mm -hmm. our broadcast this evening who wanted to know that um, what can Republicans do to provide more support for women who are, who are uh, at the poverty level, to support them to carry their child to fruition right. and support them? Because the point right. is, as people have said for many years, the Republican Party is great. They're, they're right to life. They're, they want to protect the unborn. But boy, when the baby is born, the Republican Party is, doesn't appear to be there in any aggressive way, in any supportive way, in financial ways, to make their early days as a mother easier. First of all, do you think there's some truth to that, historically looking at what the party has done? And is there a role now in this, as politics is being redefined, should there be, and if you made it to the United States Senate, what would you be doing to make life easier for women who decide they're not going to take the abortion route, 
they're going to have their child. It may be take, talking them and walking them through, uh, you know, uh, an adoption process, but just something. What can well, you do for that? Well, I, I would invite the entire listening audience to go to an aid for women and volunteer and see all the, that's just as an example, uh, the Women's Center, the many amazing organizations that are there to support women who face crisis pregnancy. And there are abundant resources for women, not only pre-birth, but post-birth, if they tap into those resources. But I think it's absolutely repugnant. It's, it's beyond the pale that the on, that healthcare, the only option that a woman in a crisis pregnancy is abortion. It's a billion-dollar industry. I think it's they're taking advantage of women, and I think that uh, there's so much hype that uh, um, it's 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 sad to see all of the uh, the division that this issue has caused. So I would invite anybody in the listening audience to to start to, to you know peel the onion, if you will, and see all the beautiful work that's being done by people who care for not only women pre-birth but post-birth. And as the, ne as the next U U.S. Senator, I will want to work to offer real uh, choice to women, that is, opportunities for education, uh, af uh, health care after a baby is born uh, to help support the mother, and other ed educational opportunities for young mothers who opt to have their child. And also, I would encourage state laws that would make adoption more uh, available. There is a list of, of wonderful people who would love to adopt children. It's just such a tangle to do it. So uh, I think we need to offer families who face crisis more options than what uh, is out there now. If you go to the United States Senate, you're going to have a lot to do with foreign policy. Uh, a lot of people in this country are rooting for Ukraine in their war with uh, Russia. Uh, we've spent uh, and sent billions of dollars their way. Right. When is enough enough well, insofar as sending money? So uh, I, you asked a couple questions ago about how is it that they think that this is such an unbeatable uh, uh, junior senator in, in yeah. this race. The decisions out of this White, White House, which are seconded by this junior senator, have been uh, outrageous, insane in some ways, from the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, and she sits on this Armed Services Committee. We, we heard not a peep out of her. And that set up, almost set the stage for the disaster and the incursion of Russia into Ukraine. Do you have to take a break right now? We've got a pause. Thanks okay. very much. Sure. You hear the music? You know, we've got a little break. Right. Back shortly from Chicago. Bruce Dumont back, and we're talking with Kathy Salvi. Uh, she is uh, running, uh, along with seven or eight other people, for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate from Illinois. The primary is this coming uh, Tuesday, and we're talking about uh, a variety of issues. One thing you want to do, like every Republican, you want to tighten things at the border. Specifically, what do you want to do to tighten things at the border? May I first get back to finishing my Ukraine question? Yes, I yes. just wanted, you had asked about Ukraine. Yeah, when yeah, is too much? Well, I... First off, the uh, disastrous exit from Afghanistan, Afghanistan signaled to our evil, uh, evil uh, uh, leaders around the world that uh, the America is doesn't have firm leadership, and it gave Russia the license to act. And what Biden administration did, they didn't send any military aid 
or place sanctions until after the incursion into Ukraine. So to the question you asked before the break, uh, we have been leading from behind, and on, on day one, uh, this administration has bungled almost every single uh, action they've taken. And Tammy Duckworth, who sits on the Armed Services Committee, has been silent, and that's acquiescence. So that's one reason I don't think that she deserves re-election. As for securing our border... No, no, I'm going to go back to that, though. Okay, uh, good. Should we, if you were elected, would you be sending more money to... Ukraine. I, I think mean, have, they, have, have they received enough? Or the, well, is it an empty uh, is it an empty pot for them? I wouldn't send more money, but I do encourage the uh, UN to remain on the front line to support them, and that's one thing that uh, ha- did happen. Uh, they need to show more leadership, and our NATO countries need to take. Fortunately, they're taking the leadership that this country isn't. We've been leading from behind, and now I'm happy to see that NATO is at the at the front of that. Uh, but in any event, I believe that our poor responses earlier in the Biden term is what led to Russia's incursion. In addition to that, we have enriched Russian the Russians' uh, coffers with the energy issue. Uh, we are no longer energy independent as we were on the prior administration. And that has allowed Russia to fill its bank because they're selling their oil around the world, particularly to Europe. And so I believe that we need to have energy independence again, open up the Keystone Pipeline, and that will help us also economically at home with the cost of living. Speaking of the previous administration, do they deserve another shot at the roses? Well, many people, uh, many people have said uh, that the abandonment of the prior administration's policies have been uh, a train wreck for America, and I would agree. You could look at uh, almost on every single issue, there have been a reversal of those policies, and America is hurting as a result. Does he deserve another chance to be president of the United States, Donald Trump? I believe if I will support the Republican nominee, whoever is, is uh, uh, nominated in 2024, with vigor. And energy. And would you it, like to see him be that nominee? Uh, I would. I've. I've always supported President Trump, and I think the people of this uh, country were served well uh, when he was in office for those four years. My daughter Mary Salvi served as one of his uh, special assistants. She served and uh, traveled, and I was. Uh, I, America was in a better place, both internationally and domestically, under the policies of the Trump administration. How badly was his image tarnished? by what he did as a ex-president, as a defeated president. How bad was that image? How bad were you shaken you by know, that? You know, I'll tell you something I think. I think um, I, I live by a certain um, credo. You know, every saint was a sinner and every sinner could be a saint. And so I think we're a very forgiving people. And if there's people who are never Trumpers today, uh, uh, I think a lot of those folks look and they say, look at where we are as a nation today. We're hurting. And I think that the person who will be elected and nominated in 2024 will be able to appeal to not only just Republicans, but all people, all people of all um, stripes and sizes and say, listen, we need to get the, uh, this country back on track. And uh, we are in, we're in a tough position right now. You know, you could have diversity of color, ethnicity, race, um, uh, creed, uh, but there's no diversity of ideas. The uh, ideas driven out of Washington now are from the very far left of the other party. Uh, and there are many people, Democrat 
uh, Democrat people, Democrats who say, I'm not comfortable in my own party, and they're, they're going to vote Republican. They're going to take Republican but ballots. But don't you acknowledge that there are Republicans who may say, I'm not comfortable in the Republican Party That's if it's true. dominated by Donald Trump and his followers because they may have looked at what happened on January 6th and said, this was a horrible experience. I don't want to be part of, I don't want to be with those people. Well, in the morning, I could, I, I go to a group and I'll meet and greet and somebody will inevitably, be, inevitably ask me, Kathy, where do you stand on Donald Trump? Because if you're with me, I can't support you. Right. In the afternoon, I'll, I'll speak to another person who will raise their hand. Kathy, where do you stand on Donald Trump? Because unless you support him, I can't support you. Right. So I say the same thing to each of them. Which is? Which is, well, we could all agree that the policies of the prior administration, which have been abandoned with this administration, are hurting all Americans. And I can't stand, we'll never try to stand in any other person's shoes, including Donald Trump. He does a pretty good job standing in his own. But I say, I ask you to send you there, Kathy you, Salvi's brand of leadership to the United States Senate. Do you think there is, uh, is there someone out there who could carry his brand without the baggage? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy we're having this discussion. I, I think that the uh, Republican Party has a huge farm team. Just look at how many wonderful uh, elected officials there are and non-elected officials who are in the trenches working uh, for this country and its interests. So I think there's a broad bench. Do you believe, back to your uh, your opponent, uh, have you received any assurances that if you end up being the Republican nominee that there's going to be sufficient money provided to you by the Republican National Committee uh, to give you the ability for a competitive race against Tammy Duckworth? I know that I am the only candidate in the Republican primary who could pull together the resources and also the great people resources of our diverse Republican Party, the populist part of the party, the conservative Christian wing, if you will, mm -hmm. or conservative wing, fiscal conservative wing, and also the so-called establishment part. And by the way, there's a blending and a melding of all three of those groups as well, because many people uh, 26 years ago when my husband ran statewide uh, became active in their local Republican parties. And I remember when Southern Illinois, in fact, south of 80, it was all Democrat, uh, typically. Mm -hmm. uh, but since then, it is uh, nearly, if you look at the breakdown county by county, it's nearly all red today. Mm -hmm. So that's because uh, our messages are the right messages. You know, Republican policies work. And many people are working, waking up to it. And uh, I think that if the, if the more that the, the Democrat Party attempts to demonize Republicans, people take a look and they realize they're way off. And they're going to be voting Republican this time, just as they did in New Jersey and just as they did in Virginia. Will she debate you, do you think? I hope so. I'm looking forward to but what it. Are, what, are the, what, are, what is the likelihood of that? I mean, you're, well, you're I, a relatively unknown candidate, although obviously if you win the primary, you'll get a bump, you'll get some money from RNC, you'll be able to be on TV with some spots, which you haven't been able to do thus far. So you'll be right. a little more known, but, you know, she's, she's sort of the brand name in the state. Well, you think so. And I don't know if that's just what is talked about at cocktail parties. But I go through, I've traveled this entire state, and she has not even been to several of the counties. I was in Crawford visiting with a bunch of many farmers, and they said they never even saw her pre-campaign or since she's been a U.S. senator. And I want to be and will be 
I call a citizen senator. I want to be a senator that I could be proud to vote for, someone who makes pledges to the people and then backs them up when they're in office, doesn't just get wo- you know, wobbly about what they believe or lose their spine. I think we, we, we need, people want to have a hope that this country and its Congress can work again. I signed the term limit pledge. Too many people, ordinary people, go into office, they get Potomac fever, and all of a sudden they become millionaires. They're not, they're not responsive to the people who elected them. They're responsible, re- responsive to special in- interests. Is there any evidence that she has done that? Well, if you look at her, advo- uh, her advocacy on behalf of the pro-abortion lobby, it's a billion-dollar lobby, and it doesn't represent what the will and the majority of the people of the state are. You know, you look down the line, she's a veteran. She should have a stellar record with Veterans Affairs. And I talk to veterans around the state, and they're disgusted. They feel as though they're shut out of the process. So she is not a responding to the people who elect her. And I think that this is going to be the election where people have a choice. And I'm happy to give them one. Kathy Salvi, United States Senate. Mm-hmm. I'm honored to be a candidate, and I will mm-hmm. be honored to serve. And uh, after six years, if, if, if you're elected, after six years, what do you want the issue to be when they think of you and whether the not, whether or not they will reelect you, what do you want the issue to be that's affixed to your name? Kathy Salvi's the hardest working U.S. Senator we ever had. There's a lot that we could do as a U.S. Senator. You could draw light to what the, the, the way people are suffering or trying to move their, their community forward. You may not be able to get it passed, but you could use your U.S. Senate seat as a pulpit to draw, draw draw light on the way people are living and the way we want to in- improve communities. And that isn't being done. So I say, I want to be a citizen senator. What does that mean? I want somebody to call me up and say, if I'm having trouble with this particular congressperson in this state or in our state, I want to be able to go with coffees and bagels and walk across the the hall at, to my colleague's office and say, hey, what's going on? Have a discussion. And perhaps you know, unlog jam things. If when things are uh, when something can't get done, I want to get that get to the root of it and to fix it. And I think that's what the people of the state uh, deserve. You know, one quarter of all jobs deal with agriculture in this state. We have the richest soil, the most beautiful farmlands. Yet we have 90-year-old locks and dams. And we have to pause. Sure. I'm at. Kathy Salvi has been our guest. She is uh, one of a group of of people who would like to be the United States Senate from Illinois. The primary is Tuesday. She has joined us tonight. She's running against Tammy Duckworth, who's been invited to be on this program for six years. She's never responded to an invitation. Back shortly with another candidate. Don't go away. Mark back. We continue with the 42nd anniversary of Beyond the Bellway. Nice to have you with us. And uh, we are also joined, again, let me mention for those listening around the country, we're doing a little kind of an Illinois-focused uh, discussion in our last hour because uh, uh, we have uh, our big Illinois primary, which is one of the big primaries of the year. It's coming up on Tuesday of this past week. 
Uh, you just heard from uh, one of the candidates that would like to be uh, nominated as the United States Senator in the Republican primary, Kathy Salvi. And we are now joined by Jesse Sullivan. And if you live in Illinois, you, you, you sort of know him because he's been on television so much for the last several months. Uh, he is uh, one of the leading Republican candidates uh, for governor of Illinois. And he joins us uh, this evening. And Jesse, nice to have you with us on uh, Beyond the Beltway. Good to have, have you on the show. Yeah, Bruce. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We've been trying to keep those ads positive well, the uh, entire but, but time. You, so. Actually, you have. Let me ask you yeah. the, the, the $64 question, however, is if, if you are unsuccessful uh, Tuesday, will you support the winner of the Republican primary? Yeah, I've said it's really, I now it's a two-person race between uh, Darren Bailey and myself. And yes, I would definitely support him over J.B. Pritzker. Uh, Richard Irvin, who, you know, he's just tanked, so not really an issue anymore, but he didn't really hold the character conservative values that I would like to support. Uh, mm -hmm. But Darren, yes. But I fully expect that I'm going to be the nominee uh, and look forward to getting their support after I win this thing. Okay. Uh, one other thing, uh, which is was national news to some uh, last night, and that is President Trump uh, traveled to Southern Illinois. Uh, he came to town primarily to endorse Mary Miller, who is involved in a Republican primary uh, for Congress uh, down there uh, against Rodney Davis. Uh, but again, in the course of that discussion, uh, he reached out and he appointed uh, uh, the person who you challenge, uh, Darren Bailey. So he gave him the, uh, the Trump blessing. Um, was that, were you surprised by that? And uh, what impact, if any, do you think that high visibility endorsement might have on uh, voters between now and Tuesday? Yeah, well, the truth is the biggest endorsement that Darren Bailey has gotten in this campaign is from J.B. Pritzker. He's gotten millions and millions of dollars from the oldest trick in the book from the Democrats, which is pick the weakest opponent that you would love to face in the general and help prop them up in the primary. But it's been done in historic ways uh, with millions of dollars from J.B. Pritzker. And so, you know, I am a candidate that can actually beat J.B. Pritzker. And when it comes to America first policies, I am a true conservative. If you want America first policies to be Illinois first policies, then I'm your guy. And that's the way that I would lead. Mm -hmm. If we were to look at a map uh, on the issue of, of abortion uh, in the wake of the Supreme Court decision uh, this uh, past week, uh, if you were to look at those states that will be protecting access to abortion, and they are shown here uh, for those listening on radio. It's Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, Illinois, Maine, New York, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, the District of Columbia, and Delaware. Uh, if you look at that state right smack dab in the middle of that uh, country is Illinois. So uh, thus far, Illinois has some of the strongest uh, abortion protection in the United States, if if you are elected governor in November, you will be the Republican governor of a state that many believe is going to be a magnet for abortion. How will you react to that? I will be the strongest pro-life governor in the history of the state of Illinois. Uh, you know, I just want to say what a blessing it was, that news coming down from the Supreme Court. We fought for decades, those of us in the pro-life movement, uh, to be able to see this day and worked for it and prayed for it. And so what a blessing. Now the front lines of this battle plays out at the state level. 
And J.B. Pritzker wants to make us the abortion destination capital of the Midwest, paid for by our tax dollars. You know, young minors, the 13, 14 year old who don't even need to notify their parents. It is absolutely wrong. And so I'm going to be a strong pro-life fighter uh, to make sure we stand up for unborn children. But do you believe you will have enough support in the Illinois General Assembly, uh, both of the upper house and the lower house, to change uh, some of the laws that are in place? Because the governor has already called a special session. He wants to beef up these abortion laws, which are already the strongest or pretty close to the strongest in the nation. So, you know, there's an election. Obviously, we would expect that it will probably be a close election in November. And I'm just wondering whether you will have enough uh, legislative heft to come in and make any significant changes, because, frankly, you'll stick out like a sore thumb as a Republican uh, pro-life governor in uh, one of the most uh, blue states in the country. You know, J.B. Pritzker is running for president. Uh, he's starting to make his entryway in that direction. And it's he wants to run on being the most pro-abortion candidate in the nation. That does not fit with our Midwestern values. In Illinois, we are common sense Midwesterners. So even my friends that are on the pro-choice side will say, taxpayer funding of abortions? No, that's not right. They will say late-term partial birth abortions. That's not right. 12, 13, 14-year-old girls not notifying their parents. That is egregious. That is not right. So we actually win with a large majority on those issues. And so we're going to get the legislature to push back on those extremes that J.B. Pritzker has really gotten so far left and out of touch with Illinoisans on. If you win the, uh, the primary, Jesse, um, between now and November, how much time are you going to spend on uh, reminding voters that J.B. Pritzker, in your opinion, and the opinion of some, that he's running for president? And perhaps voters should be looking at the credentials of Joanna Stratton, his running mate as lieutenant governor, because uh, she might end up as governor someday without a vote for governor. <laughs> oh, I, I, have, I, I used to think that it could not get worse than Joe Biden as our president until I started hearing these hints that J.B. Pritzker might run. It's just comical to the people of Illinois, because what we've seen is 120,000 people voted with their feet last year and left the state of Illinois. We had Boeing, Caterpillar, an iconic company, now Citadel. All of our best companies are leaving the state of Illinois, fleeing to better run states. So we, anybody in Illinois sees the writing on the wall that we have the worst governor in the nation. So uh, him ruining Illinois, now trying to go on and ruin our nation, it's not going to happen. Who inspired you to ultimately enter politics and give this idea a shot? Yeah, so I'm a political outsider. I've never run for office before. Um, my faith drives my entire life, and so I try to follow God in every single decision in my life. Um, but I, I was born and raised and currently live right next to Lincoln's New Salem which is where Abraham Lincoln first moved into politics, went through his litany of failures in business, you know, um, and then he moved into politics. And so for me, he's my political hero. He's someone who is rooted in character, honesty, integrity. He's someone who will not sacrifice his core principles. He stands firm, but also about union and unity and being able to lead our nation forward and, and bring people together. And so he would say, 
with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Uh, he was talking about the issue of his day slavery. Well, today we have so many issues, including this pro-life battle playing out where we need to say with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us fight for the unborn. Let us fight for our young kids when they're trying to bring this sexualization and racialization ideology into the classroom. We need people who are willing to fight for faith and family values again in our society. And that's why I got into politics. Jesse, for those who are non-believers, when they hear people talk about faith to the degree that you do, uh, they, they, many of them feel uncomfortable. So my question to you is, when you say you, you, you were, let's say, moved by, uh, by God to, to make this decision to run, could you explain how that manifests itself to those who are non-believers? Yeah, one is I'm very inclusive in my faith. Uh, you know, I, it's been amazing how many folks from the Jewish faith tradition, you know, the Muslim from all different faith traditions have come and said, hey, we love the values that you stand for. Thank you. Because really, we are uniting against this far left extreme group that wants to take God out of our politics altogether. And if you look back to history and you take a look at George Washington and his farewell address, his farewell address to the nation, he said, if you think a democracy can survive without religion, you are wrong. You look at Martin Luther King Jr., who said in a, from a letter, letter from Birmingham jail where he said, you know, God's law and man's law need to be aligned. Any great movement throughout American history has been largely led from folks who are holding religious faith views. Now they are trying to remove faith and God from our lives. Well, we need to actually rally together as people of faith, all faiths, to say, Andy, those who are humanist and hold those values that are deeply, we need to all join together and say, no, we need values back in our government again, and we can't allow the left to indoctrinate our kids and push God out of society. To those who oppose you, they say you're, uh, you're inexperienced, and you may have a lot of youthful vigor and vim, but uh, you know when you're walking around the state capitol, you're going to be like a, a little child looking for a helper, a helper, your reaction. You know, uh, it ages you quite a bit to be over in Afghanistan serving in a war. Uh, you know, I was an army civilian and we lost 36 guys in our small district while I was serving over there. You know, that, that kind of gives your naive, gets rid of your naivete. It makes you grow up pretty quick. Um, also, you know, I've been running a business to back entrepreneurs around the world, some of the world's hardest places, uh, you know, Lagos, Nigeria, to Karachi, Pakistan, to Indonesia. I've been in some of the toughest situations, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and we've gotten results. I've gotten results in some of the most challenging environments on earth. And so I wanna bring that, this vigor and energy and say out with the old, in with the new. We had Mike Madigan, who's been ruining the state of Illinois longer than Jesse I've been alive. Sullivan, got... I've got to interrupt you right now. We do have yeah. to pause, and we'll be back with Jesse Sullivan. Don't Great. Thank you. We continue on Beyond the Beltway tonight with Jesse Sullivan in this segment of our program. He is seeking the Republican nomination for governor of Illinois a few weeks back. We had Darren Bailey, who is one of his uh, uh, challengers, I guess. 
who joined us uh, in studio. And uh, uh, the other three guests uh, who are uh, uh, running in that office uh, have never contacted us, have never put us on a mailing list. Uh, they're spending millions of dollars on TV time, but uh, they haven't taken the time to introduce themselves to us. And so uh, we don't hear from them this evening. But if you are a Republican in Illinois, I think you know all five candidates who are running. And again, the election is Tuesday, and Jesse Sullivan is uh, one of those who joins us now. Jesse, there's a lot of issues facing the state of Illinois. Uh, the whole issue of pensions and funding pensions is one that has uh, sort of uh, escaped all recent governors. Uh, what would you do or could you do uh, to improve uh, the pension crisis in the state? Yeah, J.B. Pritzker's continued to kick the can down the road. He took COVID money, pretended like he solved our fiscal challenges. It just hasn't happened, and we have to take this one seriously. And so my dad is a retired public school teacher. He said, if you're going to cut my pension, I'm not going to vote for you. And so I, uh, I said, Dad, you taught me better than that. Our word is our bond. Uh, but we need to make sure that anyone who has earned a benefit can actually keep that benefit by transforming the system for anyone who has not yet earned a benefit. So anyone new into the system, we need to look at 401k style solutions. It's worked in the private sector. We, we're going to need a constitutional amendment to actually change going forward any current state workers for future benefits earned. So it's going to take real political leadership, but we have to make it happen. It's what's pushing all these all these businesses out of the state because our tax burden is so high on our taxpayers. Given uh, the fact that Illinois at the moment has one of the is one of the most welcoming states insofar as abortion is concerned, if you look at that map, uh, Illinois is only likely to be a magnet for more, given all the surrounding states uh, will have uh, uh, made it illegal. Um, how do you, if you are governor, how do you go about making or taking away the incentive that Illinois uh, could become a, uh, a magnet for more abortion? Is there, are there things that you can do to keep uh, women from flowing into Illinois to have an abortion? Yeah, what, what's amazing to me is that J.B. Pritzker he acts like our only, his only economic development plan for the state of Illinois is look how pro-abortion we are. He went, wrote a letter down to Texas and said, hey, any companies who want to come up here to Illinois, you can have abortions on demand, uh, paid for by taxpayer dollars. And no, no companies took him up on that. Actually, we then lost the Caterpillar uh, down to Texas. And so we're going to keep hemorrhaging companies while we have this governor in place. And so we have to fi fix our fiscal situation. But when it comes to abortion, you know, we got to talk about this earlier, but the far left agenda on abortion in the state of Illinois does not match our common sense Midwestern values. We need to be, America needs Illinois to be a strong backbone of common sense right now. And we've gone so far left, it does not match our Midwestern values when it comes to life. Well, in addition to his strong positions on abortion, uh, you know, he... Uh... He helped legalize marijuana in the state. Uh, he is supportive of casino gambling. I mean, uh, he seems to be going for at least three issues that would be anathema to most people of faith. Yeah, uh, good leadership is about prioritization. And uh, when we're talking about the right to life, you know, that sits up there near the very top for me. We have to make sure we fight back for life and we get rid of taxpayer funding for abortions. We bring back parental notification for minors get rid of late-term partial birth abortions. 
these others, like I, I don't even drink coffee and caffeine. I'm that type of guy, but I realize others are not as stringent around those things. But, you know, we need to fix the core issues that exist in the state of Illinois. And we've got so many on the fiscal, the education side, you know, just corruption in government. Those are the ones that I'm going to have at the top of the list. We have a caller, John in McHenry, Illinois, is on the line. He's talking to you. Go ahead. You're on here with Jesse Sullivan. Yes. And just want to, you mentioned constitutional amendments, uh, Mr. Sullivan. Uh, Where do you stand on the amendment one that's on the fall ballot? Are you for it or against it and why? Yeah, I'm absolutely against it. It would be a disaster for taxpayers in the state. The reason why everyone's fleeing is our tax burden so high, no one's representing the taxpayer. I am not anti-union in in any way. You know, my brother is a union plumber, other brothers a union lineman. So uh, when it comes to private sector trade unions, the, the ability to negotiate should be there. But unions, especially union bosses and certain public unions have way too much power in the state of Illinois. Chicago teachers unions is one example. The more power they get and try to to enshrine that in our constitution, it's going to cost Illinois taxpayers an abundant, exorbitant amount because they have all the power already. Um, So no, I would not be supporting Amendment 1, and I encourage the voters of Illinois not to support it either. Okay, thank you for your call. A question if you are successful uh, Tuesday, uh, will you return to this program? And would you return to this program with or without uh, J.B. Pritzker to engage in the issues of the state? Oh, yeah, definitely. I've loved having these conversations. I honestly feel blessed to be able to share these perspectives right now at a time when the far left agenda is so loud. We need good conservatives willing to be bold and stand up for and say we're done accepting the scraps that fall off the table of the Democrats. We need to actually be bold in our conservative leadership. So if you want the Ron DeSantis of the Midwest, then I'm your guy, the Glenn Youngkin from Virginia. We need these bold leaders to speak up, and I want to be that for Illinois. Also, one last question. Did you make an attempt to get the endorsement of Donald Trump? You know, it's funny with Trump, uh, I, I'm not an insider. I'm an outsider to this whole system. And so I've been someone who really has been trying to get the endorsement of the state of Illinois and all the, the citizens here. So that has been my priority focus this entire campaign. And so, you know, Darren had an in with Mary Miller and his donors and all that. So he's got it. But at the end of the day, what we really want is a fighter that can win and lead in the state as a conservative. And I believe I'm the only candidate that can do that. So you did not try to get it. Yeah, it's one where I, I you know, tried to reach out to some folks who knew him to say, oh, man, Darren Bailey should not because he can't win against J.B. Pritzker. Uh, you know, and I wholeheartedly believe that, that J.B. Pritzker wants Darren Bailey as his candidate and he's putting millions of dollars behind that. I'm the only conservative candidate that can win this race. Okay, on that note, we're out of time. Jesse Sullivan, candidate for the Republican nomination for governor of Illinois. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Also join us 